The following sermon is brought to you by Capital Community Church, located in Raleigh, North Carolina. Capital Community Church is a people awakened to a holy God. If you are searching for a new church home, or from out of town looking for a church to worship with, or simply seeking for answers, please join us for worship at 1045 a.m. every Sunday morning and 6 o'clock p.m. for our evening service. If you have any questions, please email us at info at We pray this sermon will help you grow deeper in your walk with Jesus Christ. I invite you to open your Bibles to John chapter 8. We are returning to John's Gospel. And we're going to start today in verse 12. I know it's been a couple months since we've been in the Gospel of John. Let me catch you up just real quick where we are. Uh, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. This is one of the most celebratory feasts in Israel's history. It's sometimes called the Feast of Booths because people would literally make for themselves shelters and, and they would go live in those shelters uh, throughout the, the seven, eight days of the feast. And that was to commemorate when they were in the wilderness and they would live in uh, tents. So this is the last Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus would attend before the final Passover when he would be crucified. So if you're looking at a timeline of Jesus's ministry, I think he's got about six months left. So we're getting very close uh, to the end. This is in really, uh, in many senses, the beginning of the end. And at the Feast of Tabernacles, there was a tradition that would take place in the feast. They would light these candles, and those candles would commemorate the, the pillar of fire that would guide the children of Israel in the wilderness. Remember, uh, God guided the children of Israel with what? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So to commemorate at the Feast of Tabernacles, they would light this candle, and that was to recall how God had provided for them in the wilderness. So it is probably when they are lighting these candles that Jesus stands up, and he's uh, in, the, in the outer court, the, 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 it's called the treasury, the court of women, so there's a lot of people that are probably able to gather around him, and Jesus says this in verse 12, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, we've looked at this statement. Uh, this is a very clear declaration of divinity. The Jews who heard this would know exactly what Jesus is saying. The Greek phrase is ego a me, I am. And if you remember, if you've studied the Old Testament, I am. Yahweh is the divine Hebrew name that God gave to Moses in Exodus 3 at the, at the burning bush. When Moses says, what shall I tell them what your name is? God says, I am that I am. It's, it's a statement of ontological being. I am uncreated. I am pure being. I am pure existence. And there are multiple I am statements in the Gospel of John. You remember John 14, 6? I am the way, the truth, the life. John 10, he says, I am the door. John 15, he says, I am the vine. All of these statements are statements of divinity. Here he says, I am what? The light. I am the light. The Jews who heard this would know that light is associated 
with God. Psalm 27, 1 says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Psalm 36, 9 says, in your light do we see light. Isaiah says in Isaiah 60, 19, talking about the new heavens and the new earth, he says, but the Lord will be your everlasting light and your God will be your glory. And then, of course, the Apostle John says in 1 John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. The light refers to two things about God. First is his moral purity. God is holy. Second, it speaks to the fact that God is the source of knowledge. And we understand this. The enlightenment was a discovery of new realities. It's, it's our minds being enlightened. Light speaks to knowledge. And what Jesus is saying is, I am that light. I am the moral light, and I am the source of truth. For the Jews only? No. For the world. Look what he says. I am the light of the world. Uh, this is an inclusive statement. He's saying, I am the light for every single person. If you study the Gospels, the four Gospels, sometimes Matthew is called the Gospel for the Jew. Mark is called the Gospel for the, for the Roman. Luke is called the Gospel for the Greek. And John is called the Gospel for the world. For God so loved the world the cosmos that he gave his only begotten son. So Jesus says, I'm the light for, for everyone. And then he says this, look closely, whoever follows me, the Greek word is akalutheo. It's synonymous with believing in Jesus. Whoever believes in me, whoever follows me, whoever comes to me, in John 6, he, he will say, whoever eats my flesh or drinks my blood, if you believe in me, he says, you will no longer walk in darkness, both morally in terms of your knowledge, but you will have present tense. You will possess the light of life. That's what Jesus says. And you know what? What Jesus said is very clear. It's unmistakable what he's saying. He's saying, I am God. I provide the light of life to the world and if you believe in me, if you follow me, you too will have that light. Now, do the Jews who are listening to him, the Pharisees that are listening to him that day in the temple, do they believe or do they reject the message? They reject the message, tragically. They reject Jesus. They reject him as the only way to escape judgment. And this is the thing. This is, this is one of the most important realities about the Christian faith, is that Jesus taught, and the apostles taught, and the, and the prophets taught as they looked forward, that Jesus Christ is the exclusive way to God. Do you hear that? There is no other way to God. If you reject Jesus, this is, the, this is the, the implication, this is the consequence. Look at verse 21. Look at what he says in verse 21. He says, you will die in your sin. Look at verse 24. He says, 
I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, that, that again, that same st- statement, ego, amy, unless you believe that I am the Son of God, you will die in your sins. As we said earlier, Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Uh, if, you, if you just turn over a couple pages to the left to John chapter 3, keep your finger there in, in John 8, but John chapter 3, really important verse. We all know John 3, 16, but I want you to look at John 3, 18. Look at John 3, 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Did you hear that? If you do not believe in Jesus, you are under the condemnation of God because Jesus is the only source for you to have the forgiveness of sins. You will either be judged one day under the blood of Christ, or you will be judged in your own sins. That's what Jesus is saying. So it's very important we understand this, that this is, this is the, the most important decision that anyone can make, is to believe in Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You can turn back to John chapter 8. Let me just give you one more cross-reference as you're turning back to John 8. Peter said, Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There it is. There's the exclusivity of Christ. And unfortunately, and just imagine this, Jesus is standing there. What, what would you give to hear Jesus make this amazing statement? To be there and to hear him and look into his eyes and hear him say, I am the light of the world. And these Jews are there and they reject him. How does that happen? How does that happen? Well, it happens still today, doesn't it? Time and time and time again, Jesus is rejected. So what I want to do this morning and this is just, just following the dialogue of the text, is I want to look at how Jesus is rejected. So it's really a case study in the negative. Sometimes in John's gospel, we look at faith from a positive perspective, a positive standpoint. But here it's from the negative. How does someone come to reject Jesus? And by the way, this is a diagnostic of the culture we're living in. This is a diagnostic of our experience in this world. First way that you reject Jesus is, is one, refuse to listen intently. You refuse to listen intently. Look at verse 13. The Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. They basically say, you are boasting about yourself, and you are a lone witness, so we are going to refuse to listen to you. We're not even going to consider the things that you're saying. Verse 14, Jesus answers, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. Where did Jesus come from? Did he come from Bethlehem? back up. He's the eternal Son of God. He's pre-temporal. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. 
it, Jesus, Bethlehem is when he took on our humanity. Jesus, when he says, I know where I came from, he's talking about his coexistence with God the Father from the very beginning. And then he says, I know where I'm going. Where's he going? He's going to the cross. He's going to the resurrection. He's going to the ascension. He's going back to heaven. Then he says, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Experientially, Jesus is saying, look, I know the truth about myself. I know what I've I've experienced. It really doesn't matter whether you believe my testimony or not. That doesn't negate the truth. That does not negate the truth. Your failure to believe does not negate the truth. If I told you that I once watched a movie with Steven Spielberg, would you believe me? Okay. Well, I see I've gained your trust and confidence. I I once watched a movie with Steven Spielberg. I did. I went to Toys R Us, and uh, this was people don't know. Toys R Us used to be a toy store that, to- that, that sold large amounts of toys. It was like a Walmart for kids. And I went to Toys R Us in Dallas, and they were handing out these sneak preview tickets to the United Artists Theater for a movie. They didn't tell us what it was that night. So I, I went, I got a few tickets, showed up that night, went into the movie theater. Somebody gets up front, and they said, hey, this is a sneak preview for the movie Hook. Remember uh, Robin Williams and Dustin Hoffman? And, and they said, and tonight, Steven Spielberg is in attendance to watch your reactions to the movie. So I watched a movie with Steven Spielberg. Now, can anyone else here to, this morning vouch for that? No. No, nobody else here can vouch for that. But I know it's true, because I was there, and that's my own experience, and that's what Jesus is saying. He says, look, it doesn't matter whether you believe me or not. I know the validity of my experience, that I was in the beginning with God, so don't miss the big issue here. The big issue is, is that they refuse to listen to the testimony of Jesus. And for salvation to happen, for anyone to believe in Christ, they must be willing to open their ears and listen to what Jesus has to say. Do you remember what, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus was seen in his glory, uh, God the Father says in a voice from heaven, he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased then what? Listen to him. Listen to him speak. And C.S. Lewis, this was part of his apologetic. He said, look, you can't just accept Jesus as a good man, as a prophet. You have to accept Jesus on his own terms, and you have to listen to him because he claimed to be God. So he's either telling the truth, or he's a liar, or he's a lunatic. But if he is telling the truth, he is God and he is Lord. So in order for you to come to faith in Christ, you must listen to the Lord Jesus and the claims that he makes. And all those that ultimately reject Christ refuse to listen to the Lord. Second, those who reject Jesus refuse to judge rightly, refuse to judge rightly. They refuse to look at the evidence of Jesus' 
of Nazareth as the Son of God on a spiritual level. Look at verse 15. Jesus says, you judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. That word flesh is the Greek word sarx. And what Jesus is saying is, is he's saying, you're just judging me based on your physical appearance, based on your physical sight, basic on surface level details. You're not actually digging down into the evidence to make a right judgment. Uh, we saw earlier in the Gospel of John in chapter 6, people said, this is John 6, 42, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? So in other words, we, we know his parents. How does he claim to be the son of God? In John seven forty one, they say, is the Christ to come from Galilee? We know that he's from Galilee. Is he to come from Galilee? And in John 7, 24, Jesus rebukes that. He says, do not judge by appearances. Do not judge by just what you see, but judge with right judgment. When Jesus says, I judge no one, what I think he means is, is that he does not judge with the wrong criteria like they do. Uh, moreover, in his first coming, Jesus came to save. It's his second coming that he's coming to judge. But verse 16, look at verse 16. Even if I do judge, he says, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In other words, I judge perfectly. When I make a judgment, my will is in complete correlation with the will of the Father, the Father who sent me on this mission, and I judge rightly. Now Jesus goes on the offensive. And he basically is going to tell the Pharisees, these Jews, he says, let me help you make a right judgment about me. Let me help you think this through. So put on your thinking cap, okay? Think carefully about what Jesus is going to say. Look at verse 17. He says, in your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. So he says, look, you value the law. The Pharisees lifted the law up. They added to it, but they, but they did value the law. And in the law, multiple places, it said for somebody to be convicted, for a truth to be accepted, there had to be two or three witnesses. For example, in Deuteronomy 17.6, Moses says, on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be, be put to death on the evidence of one witness. So he's saying, look, in your own law, you say that if there are two valid witnesses, that that testimony is to be received. Now look at verse 18. He says, I am the one who bears witness about myself. You've heard me. I, I've said that I am the light. And then he says this, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. He says, I'm not the only one who bears witness about myself. The Father also bears witness about myself. Uh, we study this in John chapter 5. In John chapter 5, Jesus walks through the multiple witnesses to his deity. Remember, he references John the Baptist. John the Baptist was the light that was in the wilderness, saying, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus references how God the Father is a witness to his divinity. Specifically, if you, if you study it, there's three ways that God the Father is a witness to his divinity. The first is the voice at his baptism. Remember, he says 
This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And uh, a dove, uh, the spirit floated down like a dove from heaven on him. Second, the miracles that he performed. The miracles that he performed. God the Father is validating that he is the Son of God. And then third, through fulfilled prophecy. So, God the Father bears witness about the Son through the prophecies that were made about Him in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament. If you go back and you study the Old Testament, if you study Micah 5.2, which which said that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem, Isaiah 7.14, which said that He would be born of a virgin, Isaiah 53, which said that He would bear the iniquities of the nation. If you go study the prophecies, you will see that the Father has borne witness that He is indeed the Son of God. So, Jesus is simply saying, look, you listen to the witnesses. You go back and you listen to those that have borne witness about Me. But, but they are thinking fleshly, carnally, just by appearances. So, look at verse 19. They said to Him, therefore, where is your father? So, Jesus spoke about his father, how he and the father judge rightly. They said, where is your father? And Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. So, what what an interesting statement here. Think about this. These men know the Old Testament scriptures probably better than any of us. Many of them have the Old Testament Scriptures memorized. And yet Jesus says, despite all your vast knowledge of the law and all your great knowledge of the Old Testament Scriptures, you do not know God. Because if you knew God, you would know that I am His Son. You would know that I am His representative. Uh, Jesus says, John 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. J.C. Ryle is a great quote. Said the grand secret of knowing God is to draw near to Him through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is saying, if if you actually knew who I was, you you would know my Father also. Um, and then verse twenty. Look at verse twenty. There's just a summary statement that the Apostle John makes. He's saying, look, he's making this statement in the treasury, in the uh, in the temple. And it's called the treasury because they had these boxes. They had 13 boxes, uh, like big chests where people would give their, their offerings uh, to the Lord. That's why it's called the treasury. And he says, no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. It's six months before the Passover is to take place. So let me summarize. I know that this is an argument that Jesus makes about making right judgment that's somewhat complicated, but let me summarize what he's saying. Jesus is saying is that you refuse to believe because you do not judge rightly about me. And it's the same that's true today. Those that refuse to believe fail to judge rightly about the Lord Jesus Christ. What do they say? What do they say in your experience? He's a man. He's a prophet. Or as the Mormons say, he's a God but we can become a God that's like Him. This week, uh, I tweeted this out on social media. You ready? Quote, Jesus is God. That single profound truth is the dividing line of eternity. End quote. 
I just wanted to give you some of the responses to that tweet. All right, you ready? This one is from an account that's called Truth is Truth. All right? They said, quote, except Jesus said that the Father alone is God. So they're saying, "Uh uh-uh, Jesus actually isn't God. Here's another one, quote, demonstrate that your claim that there is a God is true, and then demonstrate that the Jesus character you assert is God is actually the God. So I don't believe in God. I don't believe in that Jesus is that God. Here's another one. That's a claim. For it to be truth, you need evidence. You don't have any evidence. So it's a faith claim. Faith is a synonym for bad evidence. And then they get in a little jab at me. Your charlatan posts are ridiculous. All right, final one. Final one. This one is from an account called Two Cult Survivor. They said, Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father. Fictional characters can have all the connections required by the plot. I don't really know what that means. <laughs> but I think they were trying to say that, that you could somehow say that Jesus and the Father are like Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker. But, but the point is, is that people are making all sorts of false judgments about who Jesus is. And they're not actually going to the record. If you actually go to the record, if you actually study the fulfilled prophecy, if you actually study Jesus' life, then you will come to the realization that he is indeed, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God, the eternal Son of God. Paul says this, this this is actually true, what, what we're saying of every single one of us before we come to faith in Christ. Every single one of us, before we come to faith in Christ, judge Christ wrongly at some point. Unless you were just one of those children that believed when you were two years old uh, in the Baptist Sunday school. But we all at some point judged wrongly about the Lord. Uh, Jot down this verse. This is 2 Corinthians 5.16. This is what Paul says. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Same word, sarks. We, we regard no one according to the flesh. He says, we don't regard according to the appearance. He says, even though we once, this is us, regarded Christ according to the flesh. We once regarded him according to our standards. He says, we regard him thus no longer. We no longer make superficial judgments about Christ. We know who He is. And of course, Paul, Paul knew this firsthand. He thought that Christ was a, a false Messiah. Remember, he stood by as, as Stephen was stoned. He went to Damascus breathing threats and violence, and it was on the Damascus road that the Lord Jesus confronted him, and he began to judge who Jesus is rightly. And so, the believer the believer is marked by, is someone who is marked by the ability to judge rightly, to judge things spiritually. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4.18, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So the believer, they judge rightly. They look at the evidence 
rightly. They look at the fulfilled prophecy, the miracles, the perfect life, the cross of Christ, the resurrection. They see the 500 eyewitnesses that Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 15, and they judge rightly, whereas the unbeliever is like those guys on my Twitter account where they say, where's the evidence? Where's the evidence? Show me the evidence. Well, it's all right here. You're just not judging rightly. So that's second. Third, those who reject Jesus refuse to respond appropriately. Those who reject Jesus refuse to respond appropriately. Here's what I mean by this. There are moments in the life of every person there are windows of opportunity there where the light of the knowledge of God is seen, and ultimately the unbeliever rejects that light. They turn from that light. They turn from the gospel presentation, or they're looking at a sunset, and the thought crosses their mind, only God could have put this here. And they say, nah, no, this is, this is all from a big bang. That, that's where they go. And so Jesus is saying, look, you have, to these Jews, you have a window of opportunity right now. I'm standing in front of you. You have a window of opportunity to believe. Look at verse 21. He says to them again, I am going away. Where is he going? Remember, he's going to the Father through the cross and the resurrection and the ascension. And he says, this is a profound statement. This is a remarkable statement. He says, and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. I want you to think about what Jesus is saying, because this is, this is really remarkable to think about. He's saying to these Jews, to these Pharisees, he says, there's going to come a day when you are going to seek after me. You are going to pursue me, but he says, you will die in your sin because it will be too late. Solomon says in Proverbs 1.28, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. So this is an opportune moment. This is a, this is a day of salvation. This is the moment of decision. And Jesus is saying, you need to believe. Do not harden your hearts because if you do not believe, in this moment, this is your chance, then I'm going away, going away, and, and you will seek me, and you will not find me. This is your opportunity. Verse 22, so the Jews said, look at, look at how they respond. I, I was honestly just, just saddened and, and stunned by this response. Look what they say. Will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come. Think about what they said to, to our Lord. They said, okay, if Jesus is, is saying that he is going somewhere that we can't come, that must mean that he's going to hell. That's what they're saying. They're saying he, that must mean that he's going to kill himself, and then he's going to go to hell because we're, we're the good people. We're going to heaven. So they're essentially saying, uh, go kill yourself and go to hell. That's, that's the, the, that is the tragedy of what is being said. Look at verse 23. Look, look what Jesus says in response. He says, you are from below. I am from above. When he says you are from below, you know what he's saying? He's saying, you're from hell. 
you're from hell. I'm from heaven. You got it completely backwards. You said, I'm going to hell? Uh Uh-uh. You're from hell. And then, uh, if you skip forward, um, verse 44, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So he's saying, look, you're actually tools of Satan, and you have this opportune moment right now to come to me, to believe, and once this moment passes, you will die in your sins. Remember that scene uh, when William Wallace at the Battle of Sterling says, you know, in many years from now, you'll be on your deathbeds, and you would be willing to trade all the days from this day to that to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they will never take our freedom. Jesus is saying that. He's saying, look, when you're on your deathbed, you will seek me, but you will not find me. This is your opportunity. This is your moment to press in, to believe. And jot down this verse, Luke 16, 16. Luke 16, 16. Jesus says, everyone who enters the kingdom of heaven, everyone who enters the kingdom of God, presses his way into it, or storms into it. Uh, They see that opportune moment. They see this this moment of salvation that they can find forgiveness in Christ, and they don't harden their hearts. They go into it with all that they have. Uh, Let me give you a quote from Edwards. He says, pressing into the kingdom of heaven denotes earnestness and firmness of resolution. There should be strength of resolution accompanying strength of desire, as it was that the psalmist said, in the place just now referred to, quote, one thing have I desired and that I will seek after, that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So there's that moment where when you come to faith in Christ, you see the value of what Christ offers, that he offers the forgiveness of sins, and you see that this is more valuable than anything else. And so the believer presses into that and closes with Christ, and doesn't let anything get in the way. Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who was wandering in a field and stumbled upon a treasure. And what did he do? Did he sit on it? Uh Uh-uh. He went and he sold all that he had, bought that field so he could possess that treasure. The kingdom of heaven is like uh, a man who found a pearl of great price, and sold all that he had so that he could possess that pearl. That's what salvation is. That's what Christ is. And the believer presses into it. Louis Zamperini, you know his story from from that book, uh, Unbroken. When he, he came back from the war, he was dissolute. He was really wandering uh, in terms of his his purpose. And his wife, Cynthia, basically said, I'm going to divorce you. It was 1949, and that happened to be uh, the first year of Billy Graham's big crusade in Los Angeles. And his wife said, I really want you to go to the crusade. And he went the first night, and as soon as Billy got up to preach, he left. He didn't even stay to listen. As he was walking out of that tent, he remembered that he had made a vow to God while he was on a raft in the middle of the Pacific. And he said, God, if you get me out of this situation, I will 
dedicate my life to you. I will listen to you. And he remembered that as he was leaving to go to his car. He went back the next night and he heard the message of forgiveness of sins in Christ and he was saved. You see, it's that, it's that response amidst the opportunity that, that through which the believer is saved. But, the, but those who reject Christ don't respond in those moments. So that's number three. Four, those who reject Jesus refuse to believe accordingly. They refuse to believe accordingly. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. What's the one condition for salvation? It's right here. What's the one condition? Is it faith and works? Is it faith and go to Sunday school? What's the condition? It's unless you believe in me, unless you trust in me. In, in John eight twelve, we saw he, he phrased it, unless you follow me. Uh, this is the condition of salvation. This is it, that you believe in Jesus. He says, unless you believe that, unless you believe that I am, the, he uses the, the same language, ego me. unless you believe that I am God, I am the Son of God, you will die in your sins. You will be unforgiven. You will go to hell. You will be under judgment. So like we said at the very beginning, this is the dividing line of eternity. This is it. Do you believe in Jesus or do you not? And if you don't, you are still under the full condemnation of your sins. Now, again, here's, here, here's the fork in the road. How do the Jews respond? Look at verse 25. They said to him, who are you? Now, when they say this, they're not asking in the sense, who are you? They're, they're saying this in the sense of, who are you to claim such a thing? Who are you that has the audacity to claim that unless we believe in you, that we will die in our sins? In Jesus' response, look back at verse 25, he says, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. Look, this whole conversation, I've been telling you exactly who I am. I've been telling you the dividing line that unless you believe in me, I've been laying it out. It's very simple. He says in verse 26, I have much to say and judge but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. So Jesus says, I have much to do. God has sent me on this mission. God is true. And he says, I speak to the world what God has given me to speak. I proclaim what God has given me to say. So you need to listen. You need to listen. This moment is passing quickly. You need to clue in. And then look at verse 27. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So what's happened? They haven't listened to a single thing that he said. Remember, that was number one. They refused. Have you ever been in, in a gospel conversation where you sit down with someone and you walk them through 
the Roman road. You walk them through the plan of, the plan of salvation. You explain to them that Jesus is God. You explain to them that he died a substitutionary death for sinners. You explain to them the resurrection. You explain all of it. And at the end, you say, okay, what's your takeaway? And they say, well, I'm going to try and be a better person. You're like, you didn't listen to anything that I said. That, that's what Jesus is saying here. He says, you haven't listened. You refuse to believe. And the reason why they refuse to believe, uh, we, we learn in, in John chapter 5, is because they were prideful. Because they were prideful and because they sought vain glory. John 5, 44 Jesus says, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? So to believe, you must humble yourself. You must come to the point where you don't believe in yourself. You believe in Christ. You don't believe in your good works. You believe in Him alone and what He's done. You must come to the end of yourself and believe. And that is the entrance into forgiveness in heaven itself. Now, there's one more, one more refusal that is made in rejecting Jesus. There's one more refusal, and that is number five, and that is to refuse to acknowledge publicly. Refuse to acknowledge Him publicly. Look at verse 28. So, Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. What's he talking about when he says, when I am lifted up? He's talking about the crucifixion. He's saying, when I am crucified, when I am lifted up, he says the same thing in John 12, talking about when I am lifted up up from the earth. He's saying, when I am lifted up, when I am crucified, in that moment, you Pharisees, you will know that I am the Son of God in this whole time that I spoke the Word of God. Uh, How would they know this? They would, one, remember that He predicted it. You ever have one of those moments where something happens, and then you're like, oh yeah, I remember. They're going to remember that He predicted that He would be lifted up. And you remember, secondly, that when Jesus was crucified, a lot of strange things happened. There was a massive earthquake. The ground shook. At 12 noon or the sixth hour, the, the, sun, uh, the light from the sun stopped shining. So it went dark. Um, the, the veil in the temple was torn in two with no explanation. And Matthew says that even bodies of the saints that had long previously passed, were raised from the dead and started walking through the streets of Jerusalem. So, so lots of interesting circumstances happened. The centurion, you remember the centurion that stood at the foot of the cross? You remember what he said? He said, surely this is the Son of God. And you know what the Pharisees were thinking right behind them? You know what they were thinking? Surely this is the Son of God. Have you ever thought about that? That they came to that realization too? They understood it. They understood it. And they said, oh, shoot. He really is the Son of God. But you know what they didn't do? They didn't acknowledge it. They just said, oh, man, he is. And then, three days later, 
bam, resurrection. And he said, oh, man, we missed the eight ball big time. We really did. Let's, uh, let, let's get some uh, people from the Roman cohort to, to say that they fell asleep and that his disciples took the body. They refused to acknowledge Jesus publicly. Have you acknowledged him publicly? Have you acknowledged Jesus before the world, this dark world, and said, I have decided to follow Jesus? Have you done that? Very important that you do that. You you don't sit on your statement of faith, that you acknowledge the Lord. Verse 29, look what Jesus says, last verse that we're going to look at today. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Jesus did his works publicly. Jesus did the works that were pleasing to God. He's saying, you got to see me for who I am. Uh, You got to see that I obey the law. I'm doing the things that are pleasing to God. Look at my life. I am obeying the law perfectly. God is with me. Surely you see that because of the miracles that I'm doing. Come on, get with it. And sadly, as we're going to to see as we continue to study John chapter 8, they don't believe. They don't believe. And just as Jesus predicted, they will die in their sin. They will die in their sin. I want to tell you one final story uh, about a man named Christopher Hitchens. Y'all remember Christopher Hitchens. Christopher Hitchens uh, was a brilliant scholar, journalist, Oxford educated, and he became one of the leaders of what was called in the early 2000s, the new atheism. All these people started publishing books and periodicals and speaking, uh, advocating the cause of atheism. And uh, Hitchens wrote a book called God is Not Great where he really puts forward his argument for atheism and his argument really against Christianity. And then he went on a, uh, a series of debates and lectures uh, in 2009 with Douglas Wilson, where they traveled around and they would debate the validity of Christianity. Let me give, just give you a couple quotes from Hitchens. He said, quote, Jesus must come again because he didn't get it right the first time, end quote. Uh, He said this, Jesus cannot relieve anyone of the responsibility for their sin. Vicarious redemption is an immoral doctrine, end quote. So he says, I know what Jesus claims. I know that he claims that he can forgive sin, but that's immoral that he would remove that, that, that guilt from you. So he's basically saying, I reject Jesus. I reject the idea that he could um, be God. I reject the idea that he could die on my behalf. Well, shortly after he made these, these statements, just probably about a year and a half later, uh, in 2011, he was diagnosed with esophageal cancer. And at age 62, at MD Anderson in Houston, December 15, 2011, he died. Uh, there's a, a Christian apologist, Larry Taunton, uh, and uh, Taunton said that before he died, Hitchens called him on the phone, and this is a quote from Taunton. He said, his tone was marked by a sincerity that wasn't typical of the man. 
a lifetime of rebellion against God had brought him to a moment where he was staring into the depths of eternity, teetering on the edge of belief, end quote. So it's like he got cancer. He goes to MD Anderson, he's sitting in bed, and he begins thinking about eternity and about this God that he's cursed and about this Christ that he's denounced. And unfortunately, Taunton said that there's no evidence that he actually stepped over the line and believed. You see, this is happening day in, day out, where Christ is rejected and people in the masses are dying in their sin. And friend, let me tell you this morning, don't let that be you. Little children, do you hear me? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And you will have the forgiveness of sins. Don't face this life and don't face God without the blood of the Lamb. You need Christ. You need Christ. Unbelief refuses to listen to Jesus. Unbelief refuses to judge Jesus rightly. Unbelief refuses to respond in the moment of opportunity. Unbelief refuses to believe accordingly, and unbelief refuses to acknowledge Jesus publicly. Today is the day of salvation. Believe in Christ, and you will be saved. Heavenly Father, we, we press in. We believe with all of our hearts, we believe. We thank you, Lord, for this offer to believe in you and have the forgiveness of sins that you accomplished by your death for us on the cross. And we thank you for this, this argument that Jesus makes with these Jews 2,000 years ago. Yes, it's a complicated argument, but we thank you for the statements that he makes, which are so clear that he knows who he is, that he knows that he's the eternal Son of God, that He knows that the Father has borne witness about Him, that, we, that He knows that the Scriptures bear witness to who He is, that His miracles testify that He is the Son of God, that His perfect life bears witness that He is doing the will of the Father. So, Lord, may we heed Jesus' words to believe and not die in our sins. We believe in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, information, and events, check out our website at capitalcommunitychurch.com.